welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today on the show, we've got a very special guest, Carissa Woodwike, who is a marriage and family therapist from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, more importantly to our uh, discussion today and to our context specifically, Carissa's been a friend of, of ETC for years and years now, um, and has both uh, spoken at ETC events in the past um, and uh, served with with uh, Tana Ottinger on different panels and discussions at conferences before. And so uh, Chris is a, a special friend of ours, and we are so glad to have had her today. Uh, one of the things we talked about today that, that I think is particularly helpful for this time in history um, related to where we are with the pandemic, uh, which is affecting all of us around the world, save for a, a few places here or there. And uh, one of the things that's really helpful is talking about the difference between self-care and self-compassion. Uh, self-compassion obviously leading to um, a more whole, robust, emotional health, uh, which then allows you to offer that um, in turn to your kids. Uh, as a side note, I'll say uh, thank you to those of you who jumped on with us last week and listened to Robin's episode. Uh, that has quickly become uh, one of our most popular episodes ever. And so uh, we are really glad that you enjoyed it and uh, really, really thankful to Robin for coming on with us and uh, really thankful for Carissa joining us today. And so today, uh, Carissa Woodwike is going to talk to us about self-compassion and she's going to talk about that now. Well, we're here today with a very special guest, Carissa Woodwike, who is a marriage and family therapist in uh, the Grand Rapids area of Michigan um, and longtime friend of the program of ETC. And, uh, and so uh, Tana is here also and Tana and Carissa um, go back quite a while, but Carissa, thank you so much for being here. And will you just, for those who, who have not um, heard you at a conference or, you know, don't know your, your background specifically, will you just kind of share a little bit about who you are and, and maybe even how you and Tana know each other? Hi, thanks so much for having me. This is so fun. Okay, let's go back. So, yes, I live in near Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, Wintry, Michigan right now. Um, I, let's see, first, I feel like most of my life is being a mom. I've got two kids, 12-year-old and 10-year-old. I'm married to a good West Michigan man. I said I do to West Michigan mm-hmm. almost 18 years ago. Um, I am, my story started in Korea. Um, I was born in Korea and then I was adopted at five months into a pastor's home in Michigan. And I was raised in the 70s and 80s where we didn't talk a lot about adoption or how we got to being adopted. And so, um, I grew up being a pastor's kid and a really good girl and doing everything right. <laughs> and, and life was so boring. Oh, there it is. There it is. Now, now we're getting somewhere. I'm still- <laughs> I was a really good girl, and now I'm a recovering good girl. I like to say that. Um, but I went to school, a college in Indiana at Grace College. I did pre-med for my undergrad, and then I realized that I like science but I wasn't motivated and passionate about medicine. And so I moved back to Michigan and went to school to be a teacher with a biology degree, started dating my husband. And then I realized I liked, I did like science and I did like teenagers, but I didn't like them together. And so (laughs) I had a professor call me out and tell me that I wasn't passionate about science. I was passionate about people. And if I had ever thought about being a counselor, 
And so I was like, sure, let's try that track. And so I went to Western Michigan University, started with school counseling, decided I loved being in the space with people and creating space for people to feel heard and seen. And then all the family, all the family stuff um, that came with uh, growing up and being a pastor's kid, I was like, oh my word, people actually wrote books about all the things that I've been through and have theories about why I think people do the things they do. So anyway, I got my master's um, as a counselor, a marriage family therapist. I've been practicing for about 18 years now in my own private practice here in Michigan. Awesome. Um, so yeah. And then Tana. Yes, so, yay. Yeah. I love being with Tana. We could know, talk forever. I know, I know, I know. We we were talking before we hit record and we're like, at some point we just need to hit record and get going because we could sit here all day long. <laughs> and for those of y'all that are listening, this podcast will come out. I mean, this episode will come out at some point, but it's Valentine's Day as we sit here and record. We're recording <laughs> on Valentine's Day. So at some point we're like, I think our spouses might want us to hit record so that we can hit stop record and get back to our spouses. So I'm excited to have you here with us today, Carissa, and tell your sweet husband, thank you for giving us a little bit of his Valentine's Day. So yes, we have known each other. We couldn't exactly remember how long before we hit record, but it's been a good little while, maybe eight, 10 years or something, we think. I don't know. Awesome. So I got to meet Tana at Created for Care. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. an adaptive mom's retreat in Atlanta, Georgia, yeah. and we—I think we clicked instantly. I, I know. Well, I probably scared. came up after, like, yeah, you were speaking, and I was like, oh, I need to know her, and I—I I was like a little Carissa um, groupie for a second. I think I made my way to the front of the pack and um, decided we were going to be friends. You agreed, so there's that. <laughs> and I love that. that. I think we have talked to and talked with and taught each other so much. And I think the evolution of our relationship was even though we met in the context of adoption and talking about all the things that lie in adoptive mom's heart and adoptee's heart, it really always ended up going to the places of the human heart. And I think that that's what connected us over the years, even though it's been in the, under the umbrella of adoption. So Yes, we have shared tears and laughter. So many, so many. Such a sweet friend. And I'm so grateful that our listeners get to hear a little bit about that. So um, when we started thinking about sort of rebooting the ETC podcast, you were like, and always have been at the top of the list to have on. Mm -hmm. And so for some selfish reasons, but also I am just excited about everybody getting to hear a little bit from you today. So thank you for being here, sweet friend. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's jump right in. So one of the things that we've talked about, um, you know, we we try not to talk too specifically just about the pandemic. Um, we're all living in it, but at some point it'll be over and you'll listen back on these episodes and be like, golly, they were fixed on this thing, weren't they? So uh, we don't want to talk too much about it. However, uh, where we are is a hard place. And I was lamenting to uh, to them before I started recording that uh, my kids were supposed to go back to school on Tuesday in person. They haven't been to school in person in almost a year. And uh, today in Memphis, Tennessee, in the South, the Southern part of the United States, I can't not emphasize Southern enough. It is 11 degrees and it is snowing uh, and it's not supposed to stop snowing until late tomorrow night. And my hopes and dreams of 
<laughs> them going back to school is being crushed slowly. So if every y'all... falling snowflake, JD is JD is lamenting. Just, just dying. Inside. We have been to the store three times That's in twenty four hours. Yeah, because there's some snow on the ground outside. I mean, we do yeah. not know what to do with ourselves down here. We don't know what to do with ourselves. Yeah, but I'll, um, gi- I'll give ourselves some grace, and that sort of leads into the conversation today. So what, yeah. one of the things that we've that we've talked about a lot is, um, and it's been a recurring theme that both guests have brought up and we've talked about ourselves on the show, but, but the thought of self-care and, um, talking about just how to take care of yourself as a, as a human, as a parent, as a caregiver, um, is a, a constant conversation, um, in this space. But one of the things that we, that, that we thought about specifically with you, Carissa, is that, um, just self-care, especially because it's, it, it offers such a wide array of definitions depending on who you ask about it. Um, that thought of self-care isn't always enough when it comes to um, surviving and thriving as a parent. And so we wanted to have you on today to talk about that a little bit. So wh- why don't we kind of start down this road of talking about um, self-care and, um, and at the root of great self-care is usually compassion. I know that's been a thought that you've, that you've had that you share with us. And um, so why don't we start with that? Would you mind talking to us a little bit about compassion and kind of why that's important as a, as a caregiver to have? So this feels like a really big topic mm-hmm. and yet such a simple topic. Yeah. And I think that it's a topic in practice that we actually weren't taught about. Um, We were taught about doing and helping, and I know I grew up as a pastor's kid in the Christian church. Like, this was like being like Jesus, right? If we would just keep doing his work and the work. And so I think it's so new to us, and I think we've jumped on the bandwagon of self-care because someone's finally giving us permission to take care of ourselves. And so in the midst of that really good thing, it feels like often that when we talk about self-care, what's happening is that we're looking for things that make us feel good. Mm. And self-compassion is something that reminds us that we are good. And so those two things really are interchangeable with each other. But as we look to self-care, I think we have to even know at the foundation of who we are and our identity is that we are actually worth caring for ourselves. Mm. So we can do things like give ourselves permission to, I know sometimes for me, it's put creamer in my coffee. That's really special. Or it's sitting down and saying, I'm going to binge watch a Netflix show or I'm going to give myself a massage. And all those things are really, really good things, but they are things that make us feel good. And I just want to make sure in our conversation, in our practices, we are also reminding ourselves and one another that we, who we are is good. So there's a difference for me between those two things. I think that is such a helpful delineation, especially when you talk about coming from more of a faith-based background or from a Christian background, because so, I mean, I I even find myself, like my internal eye roll starts when we talk about self-care thinking like, well, this is not about us. It's not about caring for ourselves. But 
I think that last that last thing you said about reminding that we are good, not just doing things to make us feel good, is is where the conversation needs to go because I've never heard it talked about in frame that way before. Mm. Yeah. When I think about like, for me, you just hit on something, Krista, that kind of made me immediately go to even self-care sometimes feels like something else I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And it can become part of my checklist or personal expectations. And then there's all this should tied to it. And then even a bit of like, oh, I'm not self-caring right. I mean, I I don't even know that that makes any sense, but (laughs) I can find myself spinning out of like some guilt and shame. And I've thought about seasons in our family where there just wasn't margin or capacity like within the confines of what we were needing to do to like, to provide the kind of like, really good right care that we needed to provide, like whatever was on the self-care checklist wasn't accessible to us. It just wasn't. And, you know, there was all like Mo and I would get so discouraged. We'd hear people be, I mean, just to sort of give like a tangible example, you know, to have a healthy marriage, you need to A, C, and D, go on a weekly date night or all these like very prescriptive things And we would leave going, well, you know, I I think that our marriage is really well, but we don't have the capability because of some of our limitations to do those prescriptive things. And I think that self-care can really, can be um, discouraging when we talk about it in a prescriptive way to a lot of parents and caregivers, you know, a lot of moms who have kids that just don't allow them maybe within whatever season they're in to sort of do those prescriptive things. So that's why I get excited about sort of reframing that and thinking about that. Um, It's to me, self-compassion is more of a mindset of how I am viewing myself um, versus what I'm able to even do for myself. Do you have thoughts or reflections around that? For sure. For sure. You know, if there was, you know, I've learned, a, I would say, you know, a handful of basic human understandings as I've been a counselor. And I would say every single person who's come into my office, if you were to go to the root core issue, it's always shame. Uh-huh. So somewhere we learned that who we are isn't good. You know, me, and I always have taken this into two different directions. Some of us believe we're too much and some of us believe that we're not enough. And I think if you just look at your story and the circumstances and experiences you had and the messages, intentional or unintentional, has fallen into one of those two categories. So I think that that's why I'm always looking through the lens of shame which then, right, guilt and fear and anxiety and all that comes from that place. So right. it's like we weren't rooted in our identity well. And we could be talking in the Christian context or the non-Christian context. I think we're struggling with shame so much. So that worthiness, that value, it has never changed. But we know there is bad and broken in the world, and it affects us. So I think we have to be reminded not only of who we are, 
but also allow to be true that there's brokenness in our world and yeah. we are affected by it. Yeah. And so in just looking at the pandemic and the political season of this last year, I think you see that so, so much um, that's driving what we're looking for, what we're needed, what we're missing, right? Everything around us is so new with the pandemic. We've never been here before. We've never practiced this. We don't have tools in our toolbox. And so it's left us hanging, like, who am I in the midst of all this? And then political season two, right? Without becoming too political, there are there are things that we are hearing and seeing in the news, not that they're just happening for the first time, but I think they're being advertised, you know, shown to us through a video or whatever, the, the media. We have now the tools to show everything what's going on in the moment. And so I think it's just rocking our world. And we're like, who am I in the context of all this going around? And then taking a side, taking a stance, forcing an issue, that becomes, again, what feels good. So I think we're looking for that self-care all the time of like what's going to help me feel good. And really what's being Mm -hmm. surfaced is how much we don't, believe that we are good and so there's that proving and that striving and that uh it's it's and i think we're all worn out yes yes (laughs) well what carissa when you so you spoke of people who will come in and that's their starting point is they're always coming in from that that place that core of of shame what are the first steps? So for those of us who are listening to this and we're like sinking in our chair, like, oh God, she's talking straight to me. Like <laughs> what, what are these first steps that we start to walk out in, in beginning to recover from, from getting to this place? Well, I think it goes back to the difference between or, or what self-compassion is. So if our identity needs to be restored and repaired, I believe that so connected to self-compassion is empathy. Mm. So first for ourselves, so that that can flow out to other people. And so for me, self-compassion and empathy, what has been so critical in my story is actually giving myself permission to be who and where I am. Mm. So if a listener right now is Mm -hmm. feeling that shame and then maybe even guilt because they have shame because right in our heads, we know we shouldn't. Mm -hmm. One of my first questions to every client I see usually on session one is what would it look like to give yourself permission to be where and who you are? Mm -hmm. And that's just been a really hard but profound question for people. And the realization always is, I don't give myself permission to be where I'm at. So I think before we move into what can we do or where do we, our thinking needs to be, I think it's actually allowing the reality of what is to be true. So can we just say, right now, can we just say, mm-hmm. I feel overwhelmed right now. I feel stressed right now. I feel uncertain right now. I don't know what to do if I should get the COVID vaccine or right now. Like, give yourself permission. I don't know if I believe that this presidency is going to take us somewhere. I don't believe if it's, or I don't know if the church can take us somewhere. I don't know if my friends, now that we've gone through the pandemic, this 
for a year. I don't know if they're the friends that I need to keep in my life. Is it okay mm. that I'm actually unsure and uncertain of where I am and who I am right now? And I think there is such grace in that space. What do you think keeps us from being there, Carissa? Like, what do you think hinders us from being okay being where we are? You know, what, what is it? Is it the messages we've received? Is it? Yeah. I mean, what, what is it? What's our barrier? I, I, I think we've, most of us have grown up with, I should, <laughs> I must, I have to, I need to. Right. I but should, those, I must, I have must, to, I, I have need. to, I need to. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yep. So I think somewhere early on, we got a picture of who we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And here's all the tips and techniques to be that kind of person. Right. We, and, and mm-hmm. as technology and social media have evolved, we are blasting our eyes and ears and brains and bodies and hearts with these messages of look at what she or he is doing. I need to do that. I should be better at doing that. I must do this with my kids, right? So we have all these messages. And then I would guess that a lot of us had parents who actually said that too, right? I can hear the phrases my mom said to me growing up. Krista, a lady is like this. A lady doesn't do this. I heard the church growing up, a good Christian needs to do this. A good Christian shouldn't do this. And so we get all these messages thrown at us constantly. And now we literally see them every minute of the day if we pick up our phones, right? So first of all, right, naming that we actually have had messages that took us away from who we are, took us away from the reality of our goodness, right now and always. And so because we are creatures that like to know what to do, because again, that makes us feel better, Mm -hmm. that makes us feel valuable, then Mm -hmm. give me a list and just tell me what to do, whether to get through this pandemic or how to parent or how to be a good friend, right? We just want that list because that feels so structured and so easy. I am just having a memory of a time we were on the stage together talking to a group of moms, I think, and it was a panel situation. I I don't know. And I remember saying something. I mean, you have been my guide. I just will say that. Like, you have been my guide to this. And, you know, I'm an Enneagram 8, and so I'm sort of up there challenging us to think about things in a new way or something, you know. I don't remember what I said, but I'm sure I thought it was like some brilliant idea for all these moms to do D&D. And um, you so gently, I mean, and it was like the most beautiful, kind, loving, like you invited me to invite them to think about something different instead of, <laughs> instead of kind of telling them to think about something different. And um, I don't remember how it was done, but I was like, oh, I think Krista just did a little peer modeling for me on how to invite them. You know, you invited me to invite them instead of telling me to tell them, you know, and um that I just thought about that, like that it is so like that mindset of should, can you say those one more time? Should, must, what did you say they were? Do you have remember? Have to, need to. Should, must, must, have to, need to. I mean, I, I could think about that every single day, Carissa. Like if I wrote those on my mirror and thought, how am I operating in my life 
in that framework. And if I were to stop, what kind of freedom would I experience? I think that's, that's amazing. I mean, that is my core. I am a should girl, you know? And so um, even that little reframing that you helped me do so many years ago about just inviting that there is a, that that's a freedom, an invitation, not a should. Um, Well, I think that that's it. I want to, you know, here we are in our forties. We're, we're learning. Yes, ma'am. We're not just trying things now. We're really trying to implement and live from a different kind of space. And so I think it was in the adoption community when we had all these conversations all these years that it came to me of I heard the adoptive parent, foster parent, adoptive parents say, right, here's all the workshops I need to attend so I know how to parent my kid whose Mm -hmm. story started with loss. And something came to me, and probably because I'm an Enneagram one, and I can be driven by this, I think the grace was when I heard that I have to versus I get to. Mm. So you don't have to be this kind of man or woman or mother or father or friend or or uh, person in America, but we get to. We get to be who we were created to be. Mm-hmm. And again, you hear the come back to self-compassion. Do I even believe that who I am is a gift to give to the world? Yeah. So yeah. there we go to that shame again. Yep. Well, yep. Carissa, that kind of circles it back to what my next question was, which is uh, thinking from the from the dad perspective and and to generalize or stereotype a little bit, the self-care conversation amongst dads and, and men is usually a big eye roll and just kind of like, whatever, get a beer, watch a game. And that's kind of it. <clears throat> we know it's more than that. Uh, and I think when I hear the like letting go of shoulds, need to, have to, must, all that, I think I, I hear part of my engineer dad in the background going, uh, okay, but you still have to like pay your bills and live. So like, the should and must, like there is a middle line, all those exist that you do have to somehow, whether you're caring for yourself or not, come back to and land on. Sure. And I think that's where you were going in this because what, what this leads to is us being able to be whole people who are able to offer our whole selves to others. And specifically in the context of our conversation today, being able to care for those who are given to us, those who are entrusted to us, um, whether it's other family members or our, our kids, um, in a more whole, uh, helpful way. Um, so I think, can we kind of, can we start down that road now of like, okay, there are all these shoulds, must, have to, need to, all that, but we, we need to be able to give ourselves compassion, but we also need to do this healing so that we can offer that example, our whole selves to our kids. Would love to go first on that because I feel like Carissa <laughs> has taught me well. So I'm gonna see if I can like get an A plus as like Carissa's you know little mentor here for real. We don't actually have to do any of that, JD. Right? Like we we get to show up in that way as a parent. Like you could choose you could choose to be a dad that doesn't provide for your family. Like there are plenty of men that don't. So you don't That's have true. to actually do any of that. Like you are getting to do that you were getting to show up in that way. And what I think was a major reframe for me, 
somewhere in the midst of these conversations and the work, you know, that I feel like Mo and I've done is it becomes as much, if not more about me than it does about people I'm doing it for. And so the invitation that I I get to, you know, be that kind of a parent or a caregiver, or, you know, I'm sure if Mo was sitting here, he would say, I get to be that kind of a dad. I don't have to. Mo could have chosen as a father to not do any of his self-reflection work, to not show up for his kids in a certain way, to not work extra hard to provide for them. So even the fact that he does that is a a get to. He's invited to, and he's decided to. And somewhere in the midst of that has, has received for himself the benefit and blessing and growth yeah. at a personal yeah, yeah, level, yeah. right? Yeah. Krista, you probably have something more, much more insightful. Yeah. Well, but. I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about one of, I'm sure that this was the precursor to me do, learning the have to versus get to. Yeah. Okay. So I was in therapy and I was complaining about um, all that I did for my family I'm sure you guys don't know <laughs> that. I never you know, complain about that. No, things. I never. All I'm always, those, it's always done with joy. Totally. Like, now tell me, who is thinking about what we're going to have to eat this week? And then who's thinking about if that's in our cupboard or fridge or not? And then who's thinking about going to the grocery store? And who's mm-hmm. thinking about, right? Let's just take dinner. Okay. Yeah. So I'm sure it was, it was in the season of small children for sure, which takes from you in different ways than when they're older. I was sitting with my therapist and was complaining about all these things of how I was being a good wife and mom. And my specific story I remember was like, here's the, and I was like, I'm just going to be better with my boundaries. So yes, in our home, it has been mutually agreed upon that I would do the laundry. So it gets done right. (laughs) (laughs) you know, the colors and textures and stuff. So I was saying, you know what? But my husband has a certain way that he likes his socks folded. And they are not the way that I think efficiently a a pair of socks should be folded. But I do this for him. And so my good new boundary is I will do that for him, but I'm going to lay his socks and underwear on the bed and he will need to put those away because I do my part and then he gets to do his part, right? Mm-hmm. And she looked at me like all good therapists. I'm sure she leaned in with her, her good eyes. And she said, Krista, you fold those socks that way because that's the kind of wife you are. Not because you have to. Mm-hmm. And I remember just tears <laughs> welling up because it's that realization of, yeah. man. Where did I get to where I thought that life needed to be fair and equal, right? I mean, I know that that's a one journey, but it was just this beautiful, sweet reminder of who I am. And that is the kind Mm -hmm. of wife I am. Not every wife's gift is holding her husband's socks or her partner's socks the right way. (laughs) But that's my gift. That is one of my gifts. I do things really well. (laughs) So... Dang it, those facts are going to be folded. So it was, so to go on what you're saying, Uh the have to versus get to is someone gently inviting me to remember this is the kind of woman and wife and mom you are, Krista. 
And you don't have to be that way, but you do get to be that way because that's how you were designed to be. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I'm just going to connect it because I think of therapy sessions with my clients. How many of us have had people to, who reminded us of who we are? Mm-hmm. Right? And so I think that this goes with, we could even put this under the self-care, actually. Yeah. Are we taking care of ourselves in a way where we're being intentional about making sure we have people in our life, male or female, reminding us of who we are, Mm -hmm. that we're capable, that we're lovable, that we're able to do this kind of relational work, right? Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. a long time. So as I feel now, full Mm -hmm. of thoughts that way. I just remember in, while I'm doing it, this is the kind of woman you are. <laughs> mm. I love it. Well, now, uh, I'm not going to ask you if those are sitting on the bed for him to put up or if they've made their way to the drawer, Chris. <laughs> that can be, no. that can be an off recording conversation. <laughs> wondering how but, that way. I like to, I like to do 80, 20, 80, okay. 20%. <laughs> yeah. There we go. There we go. So let's think about that with with self-compassion. So when we think about the remembering who we are, um, I mean, I think so, I don't know about y'all, but for me, self-compassion is so much about like the thoughts in my own head. When things are quiet, like how am I talking to myself and what messages are on repeat? And, um, you know, I would be curious for you to think about, you know, how do we interrupt those? How do we reframe those? You know, what are some tools and strategies to sort of, I don't know, protect our, protect ourselves a little bit. Yeah. You have any thoughts about that? So what comes to my mind is a couple of different things, kind of depending on um, where each person's coming from. But I think this is the beauty of mindfulness that has come into our pathways for the last however many years of literally being able, well, you even talked about this with Robin, the last um, podcast, being mindful um, Mm -hmm. of what's going on so you can monitor what's going on, right? And so I would guess my experience is that not many people are quiet enough to even hear those thoughts. So we're just so busy and that could be physically busy or mentally busy looking at things or doing things. And so developing the practice of being still and even identifying what's in our heads, Ooh, that takes time and that takes practice. And we're probably, I'm going to say the average person does not want to hear what's actually roaming around in their heads. But one of the exercises that I give my clients when we're talking about shame is I'm pretty sure that our good friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson, taught me this, that literally when we feel badly about ourselves, i.e. shame, that if we can go and make a little mark on a piece of paper when that happens, and he Mm -hmm. he said it, I'm sure, more scientifically than I'm about to tell you, (laughs) but what what that does is literally do something to our, the wiring in our brain to get it outside of our bodies and onto that piece of paper. And so oh. it's been a practice. Now I even tell in, you know, in 2021, we have our phones. So if you need to just open your phones on your notes and just put a little check mark when that shame comes in, but if you can do it on a piece of paper, 
it has been transformative for my clients mm. to just name it's there, right? And before we can even judge it, get it out on paper or get it out on your phone. Wow. And it can does you, something. Can you help us? I mean, I'm asking for like some super practical, practical. What does shame like in your own head? Like, how can you even like, or, you know, how, if you're like, oh, I need to notice it. Can you even give us a few little tips for how we might even be able to see that something is shame? Do you have any thoughts about that? Um, oh, I, well, I'll say this. I think it's amazing how much people actually know what it is, but maybe haven't named it as that. So, right, right we're telling ourselves, oh, my word, how could I forget this? Right? Like, mm-hmm. what an idiot. I'm so mm-hmm. stupid. How? I mean, we even literally, like, physically, like, hit our foreheads, like, oh, my word. How could I, or, oh my word, I'm such a screw up. Yep. No, that person hates me. Oh, yep. I knew they were going to do that. Or I suck. Right. So I think there, it's just what you're going to hear is all those little phrases that we tell ourselves. I mean, I even catch myself with the kids making a mistake in front of the kids. It's let's say kitchen cooking. I was like, Oh mom, how could you? Like I literally just say it out loud. Right. So I think a lot of times it is actually more out loud than it is internal. But I think when you hear your, when you hear mm-hmm. internally or externally, you, you tell yourself all those stupid things, right? Like I think those are the phrases that you're listening for. I don't think you're going to hear necessarily, I believe at my core, I'm not lovable. Totally. Exactly. <laughs> right? exactly. I, right. I don't think you're going to hear that. You're going to mm-hmm. hear those Yep. Um, things that we all say. I mean, people say them on the internet to each other, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I would say just pay attention to those little phrases that are the little tapes to just, again, to just notice mm-hmm. that they're there. Now, here's just going into this as I'm thinking about it. Um, a mentor of mine years ago in order to make sure that we don't go to self-judgment. Yeah. Here's a great phrase. When you hear that, yourself say that, or that comes to my mind, she would always say, okay, that's just really helpful information. So as people are hearing and noticing what's coming up through their mouth or in their head, we just tell ourselves, that's really good information. Instead mm-hmm. of what we can often do, right, is be like, again, you almost like shame yourself. I suck because I just thought I sucked, right? And so we're just like, what? what? That's just good information, right? Because yeah. it's telling us something. Mm-hmm. So oh, I love it. I mean, I think that that right there that you just hit on, you know, to me, that's self-compassion. It's, yeah. it's the non-judgmental self-observation of... To be human is to think things like that. Like to be human is to make mistakes. To be human is to fumble our way through or, you know, not do things well or as much as we would like. Or I mean, so sort of this like permission to just be a human. Um, And I know that seems can be kind of silly, but to sort of swing back around, we started this episode. I just don't think that, in the time that we were raised, you know, we were having conversations like that. And so what does it mean to parent and to reframe 
even our expectations of ourselves as parents. I mean, right. we want to be, like you said, we want to be good parents. Like I think ever, yeah. I've never met a parent whose deepest yeah. heart's desire wasn't to show up in like a beautiful, yeah. kind, caring right. way right. for their kids. Like that is the heart of parenthood most of the time, you know? And But we have our hard wired that if we were not raised that way, yeah. Right. The good information here is just that then our brains were wired to do the very same thing. And so in therapy, when I lean in and look at someone's eyes, I am literally telling them so many of the things they should have gotten told as they were growing up. Mm -hmm. Right. So as they're telling me, I sunk into shame because I treated my partner like this this week, Mm -hmm. I get to lean in and just say, okay. Thanks for telling me that. That's really helpful information, right? And so you're, you're modeling for them what kind of voice they get to be to themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I was. And now we learn, right? Because I think most people have not even learned how to apologize to themselves or others or repair with themselves or with others. That's a, probably another topic we could talk about. But we just say, you know what? What I did I hear that that hurts you, and I'm so sorry. And we actually get to do that to us. Carissa, what you said to yourself was so harmful. I'm so sorry. Right? We get to start again. We're just learning. That's the motto that I have for my clients so often and my kids. That's okay. We're just learning. We're not experts at this yet. Well, I want to I want to steer us toward home on that note right there because I think that that um, the hope that I feel just as this conversation is happening and I think okay I've got I've got some years left with my kids in our house and I'm hearing this now and so I can I can there can be a marked difference you know in how I respond how I teach them to respond because we do have a couple that are high achievers and they just naturally like there's a there's a drive for them. Um, to do right all the time. And there's a, a very quick, uh, slippery escape out of being pinned doing something wrong. Um, and when there is something done wrong, there's a there's a, a slide down into it. And so I think that uh, that thought of being able to to stop the slide by just saying, hey, that's that's just helpful information. What, what do we what do we learn from this? Like let's let's take that. Like how yeah. how can we do this better? Are you supposed to be perfect at eight years old, at 10 years old, at 12 years old? You know, and I think that that guides us. So in thinking about how we begin to frame this with our kids, are there other quick phrases that you have or um, kind of one-liners that we can start to adopt into our mindsets, you know, as, as parents to help, help drive this kind of healthy self-thought? Like specifically when we're parenting and talking to our kids? Yeah. 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 Which can I just back up a minute? I think that the adoption foster care world, you know, I was, I stepped into that when my kids are pretty young and through Empowered to Connect, through Tapestry, through all the places that Ty and I were in the circles together, I feel like it was parenting gold. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were so many phrases that came that I still use, whether it's, let's try that again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get yeah. to always try again. Or that, um, that's okay. We're just learning, right? And again, we're teaching them also that there are, there is an impact to our behavior. So 
So, right, we do have to go to that route, too. I think Robin talked about that a little bit last time. We do have to name that we are affected by the way our kids treat us, and they're affected by the way that we treat them, right? And so I think that you talked about that last time. We get to model what repair looks like. We get to model what maturity looks like. You know what? I mean, I say this to my kids every once in a while. Just every once in a while. I'm so sorry that when I was mad, because remember, you know, the mad isn't what's bad. Mm -hmm. It's that I chose to do something bad when I was mad. That's how we say it in our house. So when I was mad, I chose something bad. So I still say, I'm sorry that when I was mad this morning, that I yelled so loudly. Mm -hmm. Right. And I hope that that models for our kids. Right. So we can say, you were so mad this morning, weren't you? Right. What, and then to help them think through that cognitive process, what did you do when you were so mad? I did this. How did that make her feel? Right. And our kids, we've been practicing glad, mad, sad, scared, shame in our house for a long time. And so they can say, mm-hmm. I'm, it made her sad. Right. And it's very basic. Like, I think sometimes we just make this so complex. I mean, there's tons of emotions out there, obviously, but Tana knows I always go to glad, mad, sad, scared, shame. Um, Mm -hmm. That usually one of the emotions feel caught in that. Obviously, there's lonely and alone and and things like that. But usually when we get angry and our behavior gets disruptive, it's usually linked to one of those. But So, yeah, I think it's talking to our children in a really simple, clear Mm -hmm. way. And mm-hmm. here's the thing. I believe that parenting our kids differently, mm-hmm. allowing them to be who and where they're at, teaching them, empathizing with them, giving them presence, it is literally has mysteriously reparented me. Yes. Because I was not raised interacting mm-hmm. with kids like my parents interacted with me. It was the, and I was the one who was doing everything right already, Right but it was the should, must, have to, need to. And so as I'm actually outpouring grace mm-hmm. on my kids, it is doing something so healing for me, right? Yeah. That healing space for me. I've always said mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the adoption foster care world, but in the parenting world, I always say, it is, we are literally cannot heal people. Mm. But we can create spaces for healing to happen. And the way that we talk to our kids and the way that that mysteriously reparents us, I mean, there's this like sacred exchange that's happening all the time. Because I don't have still the kind of parents who are talking to me this way. I don't have many mentors who are talking to me this way, but I think so much of my healing has come by engaging in a way with my kids that has just offered me grace and compassion. I'm hearing this beautiful um, reciprocity of self-compassion and other compassion and those two things just beautifully intermingling. Um, You know, I don't want our listeners to miss just the very simple thing that you said when you apologized Mm -hmm. and said, I'm sorry, when I was mad, I did blank. I just, I don't want to miss the nuance in that phrasing, Carissa. And like what's sitting right there isn't, I'm sorry, I got mad. 
Yeah. You didn't say that. You didn't say, I'm sorry, I was mad. Yeah. You said, I'm sorry, when I was mad, I did blame. Yeah. And what happens right there, even if it's not marked, but it's modeled over time with our children and families, is they go, oh, mad's okay. It's, you know, the stopping moment is like, let's, let's, let's learn together. Let's, as we talked about last episode, let's co-regulate one another so that we sort of know what to do with these big feelings and emotions. But in our desire to let our children feel and have feelings, there is something really beautiful that comes back to us. It's like, oh, I, I get to have them too. Like, and, and I don't have to be shamed for that. Yeah. And if I hold them in, I'm actually not giving them the roadmap to healthy expression. Like, I don't have to pretend yeah. like I don't get angry. Yeah, I don't have so to good. pretend like I don't get sad or glad. Like, I get to share my full self yeah. and all of my emotion and all of my desire and all of my heart with my children in a way that's this really beautiful. It, it does It does invite wholeness and goodness yeah. and healing and it it it's almost like a it shame it silences shame there's yeah. something really beautiful that happens in that moment when you're allowed to to be with one another in a way like Cause, that because I will say almost every single person that has sat in front of me in my office when I ask them what did you learn about glad, mad, sad, scared. I, w- I would say 99% of people have said we weren't allowed to be in our home. Glad, yes. Even a cap on glad, but for sure, mad, sad, scared, and shame. And so, mm-hmm. of course, then, I think the next step, right, is then learning what to do mm-hmm. with their mad, sad, scared, shame. No, one's, no one got permission to do it, that's why we don't have any practice knowing what to do with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how can we, I guess our, you know, maybe in, in sort of closing this episode, we could all sort of leave thinking how and in what ways can we give ourselves permission to have those emotions as well with compassion, like with self-compassion, without judgment, without shame, you know, even as you're going about your week this week and you have a, an emotion I love the ticking it on your phone and just notice it, name it. Yeah. And, and maybe all, all for right now is just be with it. Like it's yeah. okay to just be with it and not even have the answers about what to do about it or what to do with it, but just hold it. I mean, yep. your thoughts yep. about okay. that? Okay. Two things, hold, holding, yeah. holding, and then sharing it. So if you have, um, another person in your life that you regularly see. So, you know, we started doing this with our kids young. We've changed the words a little bit because of their age, but we would literally be sitting at dinner and just like our little exercise every time was let's go around and share something that made us feel glad, mad, sad, scared today. So we'd all go around and share something glad. We'd all share something that made us feel mad. So that's just like, making it almost like a lighthearted, right? It's because all those feelings aren't like these awful monsters that we made them to be. So it just makes it normal to name it, right? Today I noticed when I was mad because this, and again, it models the parents actually having these feelings too, not just the kids. So I think if you have regular 
consistent touch points with people, I think that's huge, right? That's a best friend even. You could even say, I'm going to practice for the next month with you. We each have to share these feelings a day. Now, we change those words, like even to get things out of school days. Like what's something that would surprise mom so much that happened at school today? <laughs> like you kind of want to get some information. That's just you want. You just want a little info. That's just your way of like give mama the goods. Give me the goods. What would shock me? <laughs> who did something crazy at school today? You want to tell me about? <laughs> yeah, look. Who did something that made you laugh today? Who did something that made you think was so naughty today? Um, But also I want to say just a little piece about the sitting with. So I think that there are lots of people talking and telling us about how to sit with our emotion. Mm. Okay, so this is the scary part. Because if we haven't had practice sitting with our emotion, that feels really bad. So anyway, when we're sitting with our emotions, right, that just doesn't feel good. Who in the world wants to feel mad, sad, scared? But here's the place that I think is the transformational gift. If I can sit, and I'm talking even if it's for one minute, doesn't have to be 10, work your way up to however long you need to. But can I name that I'm so mad right now with this person and just give myself permission to be mad because here's the thing I think you'll come to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What he or she did, it did hurt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm allowed to, cause I'm human mm-hmm. to be affected and impacted by that. And so we sit that. And I think again, right. This is a mindfulness. Let's say if you're feeling it in your heart, put your hands on your heart and just, breathe and let it be there. And then for me, the practice is always, now what can I breathe in to replace that man? So I've given my, I've named it. I've given myself permission for it to be there. Now let's release it. So if I'm bringing in peace, I can breathe in peace. And then literally I'm breathing out my mad. So I do want people to learn how to release that from their bodies from holding on to it. Right? We all know the stress in our shoulders and our necks and back. I think we also can hold on to it. So I just want to encourage people to also, whatever that hard, not bad, but hard emotion is, release mm. it. I love it. Free yourself. Well, this is finishing you, up Brad. hour one of four we've got with Carissa today. So we're <laughs> just kidding. Um, it does feel like we could talk forever about this. And this has been so, so helpful. So I do hope you know that since you've come on once, we now kind of have the right to just ask you to come on whenever. Oh, okay. And so you'll you'll have okay. to come back on whenever we ask you to. <laughs> you also, well, then you also have permission to decline because it will be an invitation, not a should. It would be an invitation for a return. You get to, if you want to, come back again. I would love to. Carissa, thank you so much for your time today and for all of this. And uh, for people who might want to find you after, can they follow you on social media or or can they follow, you know, kind of what you're doing in your practice anywhere? Uh, So, yes, I will say Facebook is actually where I would say that I just share my head and heart much more. Um, So Carissa Woodwike. Uh, okay. Facebook. And then I do have, I just made a public Instagram account called we need one another. Cause that's my heart. Like to do this work relationally, it just so helps to do this together. And so we need one another would be the Instagram place, but I'm not, I don't spend myself too thin on those socials. Right. 
I mean, as you shouldn't, as we just heard, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And, uh, and yeah, we just appreciate it so much. You're so welcome. Man, what a helpful conversation with Carissa today. And, and I hope that you enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, I will be thinking about uh, how to ask our kids uh, to change their phrasing around self-talk, uh, to think about uh, saying, oh, that was helpful, instead of, um, instead of kind of self-shaming in those moments where uh, mistakes are made. Uh, so that was really, really great. A huge, huge thank you to Carissa for coming on and, uh, and, and being with us today. Uh, I will say big thank you to all of you who are, are rocking with us on the podcast, who are um, uh, listening and telling your friends about uh, what's happening here. Uh, last week was our, our most listened to episode ever, and, uh, and we are really grateful uh, to all of you who have decided to, to spend this time with us. Uh, we don't take it lightly that you choose to invest uh, precious parenting time that you have into uh, listening to what we're doing here, and so we really appreciate it uh, and are really, really grateful. Uh, don't forget, we've got uh, re- other resources besides the podcast on our YouTube page, um, on our website, on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, and so please don't forget uh, to check those out if, if need be. And uh, again, if there's feedback you've got for the show, for uh, resources you'd love to see in the future, guests you'd love for us to have, uh, please don't hesitate to, to leave a comment um, on the website or on uh, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And so uh, thanks so much for listening today to Kyle Wright, who is our editor, our engineer, uh, Thank you to him. Thank you to Tad Jewett, who provides us with the sweet musical stylings each week. Thanks to Tana and Mo Ottinger. And for Carissa today, uh, I am J.D. Wilson, and we will see you on the next ETC podcast. Podcast.